Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, when you go to the coast, what do you like to do? Well, I like to sit on the beach oftentimes, yeah. taking walks along the shoreline, looking yeah. for shells and curios such as fossilized shark's teeth. Oh, yeah. That's but I fun. also I also enjoy a good maritime museum. Do you? I do. You know, I'm, I'm a snorkeler. I dig the snorkel, and I like the museum as well. You know, the aquarium, the maritime museum. It's we, the coastal two-step. Yeah, that's right. You know, sit in a bar, have a nice drink over the, look the water, that kind of stuff. But, you know, these museums and uh, uh, attractions that are in so many places along the American shoreline are super important to the local economy and to the country's history. And we're, we're, we get a show that's going to be, I think, surprisingly cool that people are not expecting Uh today. Well, they might be expecting it a little bit because I have <laughs> let it slip in the past that I have turned into a little bit of a like worship nerd a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not like I haven't gone off the deep end, but uh, I do get on YouTube and can kind of tunnel vision. And I found and have been a, a, a serious follower of the Battleship New Jersey Museum and Memorial YouTube channel, okay. which I encourage everyone to go out there and check out what's it called it's the battleship new jersey museum and memorial youtube channel youtube channel they got a channel they have a full-on channel and wow. i have been, i've been watching for since they've been doing it a couple years i believe we're gonna find out today yeah and i mean it's fascinating because there you have first of all at the core of this thing is an actual battleship and ladies and gentlemen there's nothing cooler than a battleship <laughs> to start this is like for a lot of people well i mean for, they're they're amazing if you when when you from afar you might think of it as a warship and maybe not but when you get into it and the thousands of people that it takes to run the thing i mean it is a technological marvel uh, particularly for the day and in the day it was like the space age technology and uh, the, the, the research behind the thought that went into building it and its full lifetime to today, where yeah. it is a museum, it's kind of a time capsule, a way for us to go back. I mean, it is just a very cool feature on okay. the American shoreline. And I felt like we should explore this particular uh, attraction and learn not only about this battleship, Peter, because boy, is it a cool story. Yeah. From, you know, from beginning, from little seed all the way to through to where it is today. Yeah. But also as a, as a uh, communications place, they've done a really amazing job with this YouTube channel. They've found hundreds of thousands of, of viewers who have shared an interest and watched these videos and nerded out on the battleship. And I just think, you know, there's a lot that we can take it's a lot of success, yeah. a lot of success for, for coastal towns, other coastal attractions. Pay attention to this one, because I think, you know, there's there's lessons to be learned. Okay, it's really cool. So the Battleship, New Jersey in Camden, New Jersey. Well, let's jump into the show. We got two incredible guests that are going to join us today. Ryan Zamansky is the director of Cutorial and Educational Affairs for the Battleship, New Jersey Museum and Memorial. And Libby Jones is uh, the director of the education department for the Battleship New Jersey Museum and Memorial. And uh, as I understand, both the brains and the talents behind the uh, New Jersey Battleship YouTube channel. That's right. Yeah, the two key places. It's going to be a fun conversation. Absolutely. I can't wait, Peter. But before we get into it, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company 
specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. Well, Ryan and Libby, thank you very much for joining us on the American Shoreline Podcast for what I think is going to be a very interesting, fun, and serious discussion about the work that you do uh, at the Battleship New Jersey Museum Memorial. Thanks a lot for jumping in. Thanks for having us. Well, tell us about the Battleship New Jersey Museum and Memorial as an organization and where you guys fit into the organizational structure. Ryan, if you don't mind kicking that off. Sure thing. Uh, So the Battleship served on and off from 1943 all the way up until 1991 when she was decommissioned for the last time. In 1999, she was removed from naval service. And in 2001, she opened as a museum in Camden, New Jersey, right across the Delaware River from Philadelphia, uh, which is where the ship was built between 1940 and 1943. So we've been operating as a museum for just over 20 years now. And uh, our whole goal is to educate the public on uh, the battleship, her history, her crew, the science and technology that goes into the ship, and to preserve the ship long-term so that she's here uh, long after her veterans are no longer able to come out. Ryan, uh, you know, I, I'm obviously, I'm a, I'm a, a battleship nerd. And Peter was like, well, you know, some people find this to be the most interesting thing. And I, I suspect that's true. You don't have to convince me. But if you were talking to somebody who's never really thought about a battleship, what makes a battleship interesting? Uh, a lot of things for different people. It is a 57,500 ton structure that's able to float. Uh, It's the size of a 90-story office building laying on its side in the water. Ours happens to be 80 years old. Uh, And she served as the home for some 40 to 50,000 sailors and Marines over her 50-year military career. She served through all sorts of uh, wars and engagements. In fact, Uh, With 19 battle stars, she is the most decorated battleship ever built. She's also the longest battleship ever built and the fastest battleship ever built. Uh, Her crazy crew got that 57,000-ton vessel up to a speed of uh, over 35 knots, close to 40 miles per hour on one occasion in 1968, which is ridiculous for a structure that size. It is an amazing ship with an incredible, as you say, decorated history. It was uh, during World War II uh, instrumental in the United States campaign in the Pacific, uh, the Battle of Okinawa, the Marianas Turkey Shoot, the very famous uh, battle where uh, the United States aircraft carrier fleet uh, dominated the Japanese 
uh, fleet, uh, it, it, as you say, highly decorated ship, was a flagship for Admiral Halsey. Um, Libby, you have a lot to talk about with this ship and the work that you're doing on the YouTube channel. Uh, tell us tell us about your work and the use of social media as a platform to attract uh, visitors and attention and, and teach people about this incredible uh, battleship. So the ship itself is over a thousand rooms uh, up some very steep ladders. So it's really hard for anybody who even comes out to the ship to really get the chance to see it. Uh, so the YouTube channel is a great chance for people to get into those spaces and places that really you could never see otherwise. Um, and it's been great for us just in the sense of it forces us to climb into some of these weird spaces. Um, and it, it brings people out to the ship because um, they've seen the channel first, but it also gives the people all around the world the chance to see it who otherwise couldn't come out to see us. Yeah, you guys may or may not believe this, but in 1943, when they were building the ship, they did not think about having a class of fifth graders taking a tour of the vessel. <laughs> uh, it is very difficult to get to some of the spaces on board, and, and we'll probably never be able to make them accessible. So uh, when you are Libby, in your position, you're the director of education. What what is the educational mission there uh, for the for the battleship museum and memorial? And was the YouTube expansion the first foray into kind of trying to get the battleship into a virtual place? Uh, so our educational mission really is just to tell people about the ship and her veterans and the various things that she got into. Um, so it's, it's sort of wide ranging, which is great for us. Uh, gives us lots of things to feed off of, lots of stories to tell. Um, but this really was our first and biggest and really our only still big foray into going digital. Um, Libby, you're, you swing for the fences and you, you hit them out of the park. This is great. It took us a while. <laughs> Well, uh, it's, 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 it's well done. I mentioned, uh, do you have off the top of your head, the, the, some of the analytics and, and how many people have, have come across this content? Uh, we've got somewhere over 37 million views. We've got about wow. 120,000 subscribers. Um, we'll see individual, like 30 to 40,000 unique viewers a day. That's incredible. You know, that's a, that's a huge success. Uh, I understand, Ryan, you're the person who's often featured in these videos clamoring through some obscure <laughs> part of the ship, going inside the boilers. I mean, what, how has this changed your job as uh, the, the director of tutorial and educational affairs to be now a well, YouTube I'm... star? Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely not in my job description. Um <laughs> As the museum's curator, the ship is one of the artifacts in the collection. So I am in charge of overseeing the long-term care and preservation for the ship as an artifact, which means things as big as getting the ship into dry dock to do maintenance on the underwater hull, uh, and as small as making sure spaces are repainted before we open them to the public. Uh, so the fact that Libby forces me to cram myself into small spaces that I wouldn't otherwise get to see. Uh, 
means that I get to see what condition they're in. Is this still well restored, even though it's been 30 years since the Navy last looked at it or since it last got a coat of paint? To that end, it also forces us to find out new things, because if we'd never crawled in some of these spaces, we never would have found things left behind or just how many repair lockers there are on the ship, because we just having to do it every day, get around through the ship. It just forced us to learn so much more. Well, you got to tell us, what are the coolest things that you've discovered in, you know, digging into the bowels of this magnificent battleship? Surprising things you've come across, maybe? Well, some of my favorite things recently, uh, if you read a book on the ship, it, it'll often say that the ship has this many repair lockers or this many damage control spaces. And uh, when we actually started going through and counting them up, we found that we had way more than we were supposed to and way more than show up on the plans. So probably my favorite thing is finding stuff that we don't have blueprints for that, that uh, are what I call unauthorized ship alts. Another favorite recent thing we did, uh, and you guys might have heard this before, uh, have you ever heard of if you uh, are in the water and you don't have a flotation device, you can take your pants off tie knots in the legs and yeah. use it as a flotation device yeah absolutely yeah so my dad told me that when i was a kid i was like yeah sure dad i uh, <laughs> sure uh so let me threw me in a pool and made me test it out and it works it does work um I, I see this is see ryan libby has uh turned you into a youtube front man and i think you're going to be doing a lot more of that and you're there's going to be a lot more getting wet in your in the future you might you might have to demonstrate that on it and um, also getting in. Can't you do the the pant float thing as a show? I think it is a is show. It? I think you guys did do that in an did episode. You, did you do an episode on that? It's an episode that's actually coming out tonight. Oh, good. <laughs> it's true. Ryan, were you a naval person or Libby? Were, do you have a background in the military or in the Navy? No, uh, neither one of us do. I've been into battleships since I was four years old. And uh, when I was younger, I thought that that meant going into the Navy. And then when I was of an age to do that, I realized that the Navy doesn't have any right. battleships anymore. Uh, so I just transitioned into museum ships, the only places where these magnificent vessels are preserved. Hmm. What's your favorite battleship? That's R a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it is tough and you're not just going right to the New Jersey. The, these are the Iowa class ships, but... Yeah, tell us, Brian. You've been you since you were four. Now you've been thinking about and I know you've been cooking on this one for a long yeah, time. Yeah, we got to get at least. Okay, how about your top three? Yeah, how about that? Easier. Is that easier? Yeah, top it is. Three? It's like trying to pick the best basketball player. Right. It's, I've got could... a favorite. If you're still thinking, go yeah, for go it. Ahead, okay, Libby. I love Battleship Texas. Huh. Texas is, and, and I come from very much the museum side, not the historical side. But she's so unique of what's left. She's so archaic meets modern because she existed through such this critical period of battleship building. So she gets modernized and changes to her and she does still exist. You can still visit her. She's about to go through the biggest moment in battleship history in the last de several decades because mm. she's going to dry dock. I love wow. Texas. Yeah, she's at the Battleship Texas is in, uh, is it at, at near Houston, Texas at the San Jacinto Memorial, which marks the, uh, Texas victory over Mexico in the uh, battle of, for the Texas Republic. Uh, 
I have I have to confess, Charlie, I've not been to the Battleship Texas. And on the Texas coast, we also have the USX Lexington uh, aircraft carrier, which is a kind of a sister ship of the of the uh, of the New Jersey. Well, Ryan, what are your top three battleships? Okay, okay, I'm gonna have to go with uh, <laughs> Battleship Maryland number forty six, just because that's my home state battleship. All right. Okay. Um, California is home to Yosemite Prunes, my favorite battleship sailor, because why did they have a bear on board? <laughs> did they <true>. really? <laughs> New Jersey's definitely got to be in the top three. Sure. I'm uh, obligated to say that. 100%. Well, it's an, it's an incredible ship. I mean, it, you know, the history, the most decorated of the Iowa-class battleships. It's got to be in the top three. And the speed record holder. And the speed record holder. Which is cool. Ryan, could you tell the story of how the crew got the ship up to that incredible speed? What was the reason for that? Sure. Okay, so um, Iowa-class battleships were designed to sail at about 33 knots. In service, because they were often overloaded in wartime conditions uh, and forward deployed really far away from their bases, they usually maxed out around 31 knots. Hmm. However, in 1968, New Jersey had just come out of the um, shipyard, so they were doing speed trials. And this was during the Vietnam War when all of the World War II-era anti-aircraft guns had been removed, which mm. removed a lot of weight, and none of the modern missile technology that gets added in the 80s had been installed yet. Hmm. New Jersey was the only active battleship anywhere in the world at this time so uh, there was no competition, and uh, the crew had a, a really awesome captain, a, a man by the name of uh, Ed Snyder, and uh, they absolutely loved him, and Captain Snyder wanted to set this record, so, so the crew made it happen for him. Oh, great. So intentionally, did it, you said they reached um, almost 40 miles an hour at 35 knots? Yeah, 35.2 knots. If you go in the uh, Guinness Book of World Records, you can look that stat up and uh, correct me. Wow. I can't believe you would be incorrect about that, Ryan. <laughs> no, I, I would not challenge Ryan on that story. But, I mean, no, I, I think New Jersey is really cool. I, I've got to say, Libby, Texas is a very cool battleship as well. Uh, I, I don't have nearly, I was not into battleships, Ryan, at four years old. You've got a, a, a really, you really found your calling and went for it. Yeah. For, at an early age. It must be a really great place to work. I, I would imagine if you love battleships. <laughs> yeah. To be working. I, do, you, I, do you guys, I, I would love to know a day in the life. Uh, do you show up to work on board? Oh, yeah. Our offices are on the ship. Uh, so we spend pretty much 60 hours a week on the ship. <laughs> Wow. That's incredible. I mean, what is your relationship with Battleship New Jersey? I mean, you working on board this ship now, you're kind of like the new crew. I mean, do you feel a connection? In a lot of ways, uh, in, in a lot of ways, because your average crew member who the Navy assigns to the ship is only going to be on board for about two years. Your average captain is only assigned to be on board for about a year. Uh, and Libby and I have spent what, four or five years on board at this point. Uh, so we don't get to see the ship operate to the extent that the crew did, and we'll never know as much as them. Um, but we do certainly feel a connection with them in that. 
Uh, so the boat is in Camden, New Jersey. As you said, it was uh, it was opened as a memorial and museum in 2001, so some 20 years ago. Uh, how many people come on board the ship every year to visit? Uh, we see about 80,000 people a year, um, depending on the year. The last two years, we've we've only been about sixty percent of normal because of the pandemic, right. uh, and of course, twenty twenty was shoot. If we hit twenty five percent of normal that year, I'd be surprised. Well, yeah, well, that's why the channel and the virtual experience of being able to visit the ship is such a great idea, Libby and um, Ryan. When 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 you guys are talking to the local. Uh, elected officials there in the city and they, they, they what kind of a contribution how important is this museum and all of the things that go with it what kind of a contribution does this make to the local tourism economy there in Camden New Jersey traditionally isn't a tourist state uh, you've got Philadelphia on one side and New York City on the other side which is where a lot of people go uh, so New Jersey politicians in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s intentionally started moving towards tourism as a new economy for the state and a way of rebuilding former industrialized cities like Camden, where there used to be shipyards and other industry, uh, but it had fallen away. So New Jersey is just one of a number of attractions and uh, other things like that have been part of the redevelopment of Camden to try and get some of that tourism from the Philadelphia area to come across the river to visit New Jersey. And is it, and as part of that, I mean, Ryan, on your, on the show, I believe I've heard you reference the area as Battleship Cove. Are there other museum ships in the area in addition to the Battleship New Jersey? Uh, so, Battleship Cove is actually another collection of museum ships oh. in Massachusetts. My apologies. And I highly recommend visiting there. New Jersey is a standalone museum. In fact, she's the only museum ship in the state of New Jersey that hasn't sunk. <laughs> yeah. um, good, however, good job. Right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's not a good thing when you're a boat. The whole sinking thing is but, like one of the main things you want to avoid. It, yeah, but as we know, it has happened yes. uh, this year. We've had uh, a, a museum ship uh, go down. Several, in fact. Se several. Is that right? It's like a problem. I think that, you know, they get old and they're yeah. on the water, man. They leak. Yeah. They're, they're all of the uh, same age. Most of the museum ships in this country uh, and museum warships, there's well over 100 of them preserved in the United States. Most of them are World War II era ships. So they're all... Uh, hitting the 80-year mark uh, right now, and there are some major maintenance issues associated with that. Well, a couple of questions I want to ask. One is, I would like to know, what does it take to maintain, what is the annual budget for a battleship museum? And I mean, I mean it's got to be huge. It's be, yeah, it's got to be expensive. Just to, to keep to, that thing going. Yeah. Keep, what's, what does it cost? Uh, what's the organization's annual budget? We are around $5 million. Wow. Uh, that comes out to over $10,000 a day. Okay. Wow. And over the years, Libby, I'm just curious. Um, I've got to think that 
from time to time, uh, someone who served on board the ship might show up. Um, have you had a chance to meet some of the veterans who served on the New Jersey? And tell us about, uh, if you have, be very curious to know what their experience is like to come back on board this great ship. So the ship was only decommissioned 30 years ago, so vast majority of her crew is still alive. We had a reunion with them just last week. We saw a couple hundred of them last week alone. Um, so we get veterans of the ship who come board, on board almost every day. Um, they generally, if I hear one complaint from them, it's that the ship is cleaner now than it ever was when they were on board. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, everything is... Um, well, it used to be all dudes. Without all the people on board, everything is... there. There's no oil on the deck. There's no... Um, the walls don't have as much of the cigarette stain that they once had. <laughs> um, but, but generally, they, they come back to the ship and they recognize it. The, the big problem that we have is that because the ship lived as long as she did, uh, the Vietnam veterans, the Korean War veterans, were lucky enough to meet a World War II veteran. When they come back to the ship, she changed significantly to the 1980s. Um, they modernized her. Uh, the, the birthing spaces where people live changed dramatically. So that, that can be hard for some of them to see that she has moved on right uh, but generally they're pretty understanding of that they they know that the ship had more missions to uh, fulfill after their time um but that is usually what they notice well it is it is amazing that the ship was played a major role in the pacific during world war ii uh and then during the korean war was uh reactivated and sent him back into service again into the vietnam war and finally, into the more recent in the Middle East, as you said, into the 1980s, it's an incredible tenure, almost 50 years of service, over, well, 21 years of active military service for this vessel over about a 50-year period. Um, the cool thing, though, is through all of that, the main armament of this battleship is the 16-inch guns, and there's <laughs> 19, nine of these things, I understand. And I was reading about the ship, Tyler. It can launch a shell that's 2,000 pounds, 27 miles, right? Is that, Ryan, am I on, is that true? Is that, that sounds insane. Is Peter insane. on target? Yeah, am I on target? Uh, accurately, we, we can hit something about 20 miles away. The really amazing thing about that is the crew can reload the guns every 30 seconds. And Man. at a 20-mile range, it takes about 90 seconds for the projectile to hit the target which means that we can have 30 tons of projectiles in the air before the first one lands. Wow. Man, Holy moly. That's some serious firepower. Just, just the weight, you know, you know, it's just so badass, dude. <laughs> it's just so well, cool. The, the motto for the ship, firepower for freedom, well said. You got to say, that's a good motto. I think for a battleship. Yeah. You know, when you're, it's all in the gun. Is there are there video or audio recordings of a broadside where they're firing all nine 16 inch guns simultaneously that you have Every seen? Every single one of our videos begins with a clip <laughs> of a full broadside and the audio. You got it. It's got to be stunning. I would think if for the guys who've on board, what that must have been like. Well, let's. I want to. I want to get Ryan's thought on that. What? What? Obviously, you have never been able to experience a. A New Jersey broadside yourself, Ryan, but you get to immerse yourself on the ship and maybe just kind of close your eyes and imagine what, what, what do you imagine it would be like? Man, I, I cannot even imagine. Fortunately, some of the crew have told me, um, 
just the pressure wave that comes out of those guns back at them, the sound of it even through your ear protection. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's something man-made. Mm, wow. Yeah, that's a lot of firepower. That's a 2,000-pound that's a shell going 20 miles through the air. I mean, just think of the force that you have to have to launch something that heavy that far. It's, it's stunning. And what's, what's so fascinating about it, and, and when I think about like the technology at the time, yeah. that that computation, to, to be accurate, you know, you're on a ship. So yeah. the barrel has to compensate with like the rocking and rolling and moving. And you're aiming at a target that is moving and also subject to the yeah, ocean. Yeah, if you're firing at a ship. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's and, crazy. And which your the plan, I guess that would be the intent, you know, the intention mm -hmm. of a battleship is to go battle another battleship. Yeah. Well, a lot of shore bombardment as well, like softening up Okinawa before the mm -hmm. Marines landed and there was there was a lot of shore bombardment from these guys, right? Yeah, we should We should ask we, we there's, should, like, there's a guy on the yeah, ship. What, what are we doing? <laughs> so we're having Ryan, a lovely tell, conversation here, Ryan. Will you please step in? Yes, and, tell us about the ship and how it was used. Iowa-class battleships only did the thing they were designed to do one time in history. And they were, of course, designed to slug it out with the Imperial Japanese Navy. Uh, and they only did that in February of 1944, where Iowa and New Jersey got to fire at Japanese ships at Truk Lagoon. Uh, otherwise, they were providing shore bombardment with their main and secondary battery and eventually their cruise missiles. What was the most famous or notable battle when you think about if, you know, when people come on board and are interested in the ship, what do you highlight as uh, the most notable battle that the New Jersey participated in? Well, for me, it's got to be the Battle of Leyte Gulf. Uh, that is the largest naval battle in history. And New Jersey was the fleet flagship for Third Fleet at, under Admiral William F. Halsey. So all of the decisions he made in that battle uh, that us historians debate to this day were done right on the bridge of Battleship New Jersey. Wow. Wow. That's cool. Absolutely. And, and what's special to me about the museum ship is, you know, I can go and visit Gettysburg Battlefield. I can go and visit Yorktown Battlefield. I probably will never be able to visit Leyte Gulf or the Philippine Sea uh, or one of those battlefields, but I can go to New Jersey and walk where the crew of that ship walked during the battle, where the decisions were made during that pivotal battle. That is amazing. And these, these are living uh, parts of the American historical you know, record. And these ships are, and, uh, are so, I don't know, they're very sexy. People, love, the, the history, if you're into World War II or you're into military history, the, the, just the, I, I gotta say, they're stunning. You know, I, I, I think I mentioned on the show, if I, I think I mentioned on the show a few weeks back that I was out in West Texas for the 4th of July yeah. and I went and toured the Fort Davis, uh, hmm. national historic monument, which is an old army fort. Yeah. Calvary, uh, right. Ca the Calvary were there. Actually the, the Buffalo soldiers were, were stationed there, which I had no idea. I would have never known, but I went, I, t I, I was out there. We drove by. I was like, I've got to check this out. Mm -hmm. And what's it, what, what it is is when you're standing out there on the, you know, the, this Calvary yard and the flag is up and you can kind of see the, there's some ruins and there's some restored stuff. The National Park Service runs this. It's exquisite. But it takes you there. 
in a way. And you can kind of like, this was the frickin' frontier. And when mm-hmm. I think, I think when you get on these big, uh, as, as you said, Ryan, a macro, I forget what, what was it? A macro feature, a macro artifact. Uh, it, it, because it's, because of its size, it can kind of transport you in a different way, uh, than, you know, looking at a, 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 a pistol, th- you know, through a glass wall or something, mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it just, it takes you there in yeah, a, in a different way. It. And, and I will say uh, the, the thing about Gettysburg is true though. You can go to Gettysburg and, you know, go up on little round top and stuff. Uh, it, the, it, it looks different now, you know, there's cars driving around and, um, there's the, the foliage is very different and there's just some really dramatic differences that, uh, you don't on a on a big ship like that. You know, it's it's steel. <laughs> you get immersed. It's it's like it hasn't. It's changed for sure, but it also has remained largely unchanged as well. So I think it's kind of an amazing thing. I've got to say, Ryan, it, it the the history of the ship spans such a long period of time. Do you have a period that you know, if you had to, if you could go back and like just be a fly on the wall, this would be the the period of time that you would want to see. Uh, you know, growing up, I was always interested in World War II history. However, uh, since moving to the battleship and having to learn about the the greater history that she was involved in, the the whole second half of the twentieth century, uh, I've really become interested in her service during the Korean War because hmm. that's something that many of us Americans don't study much in school. We don't know much about. So, so that is definitely a time period that I would like to go back and see, um, and see how the ship operated. Yeah, at that point we had Admiral Jocko Clark on board and he is, he's, he's my favorite person ever on the ship. Uh, but it is a unique moment in time just to have him on board. And he's the Navy's first Native American Admiral, but he's also just, He's an eccentric. He's cookies and milk up on the bridge when he's captain's Yorktown. He's just an interesting guy. That's where I want to be. I want to be sitting. Next okay, to no, hold on, Livy. I want to hear more about what, who who is this character? Is this is this is during the Korean War period of time? Yeah, Admiral Jocko Clark commands Fifth Fleet, Seventh, Seventh Fleet, Seventh Fleet, uh, in 1953 from New Jersey. But he's a World War One and a World War Two veteran before coming to New Jersey. Hmm. So he's he spends most of the interwar years between World War One and World War Two testing out planes for the Navy that they're going to be flying off the aircraft carriers in the next war. Uh, so he's really important to American history, even though he's kind of forgotten. So the fact that we consider him one of ours, I just love. He's a no. huge early advocate for naval aviation, and he probably hated that New Jersey was his flagship instead of one of his beloved aircraft carriers. Yeah. <laughs> but there's just no room in the superstructure of an aircraft carrier. Battleships have room for days. So uh, Libby, talk to us about, um, about the YouTube channel. Um, how frequently do you release a show? Um, I'm interested in the programming. How do you decide what to shoot? How do you do it? It's, yeah, pull back the curtain. Yeah. Is it, do you have a film crew? I mean, is it you and your phone? What it, how do you do the channel? Because it's pretty amazing. So we put out five videos a week, plus we do a couple of shorts. Um, so we're putting out something almost every day. Um, it's pretty much Ryan and I, almost always. <laughs> every once in a while, we'll find a friend, but it, it's usually just us. Um, we tend to film before the museum opens in the morning. Um, that doesn't always work, so we'll occasionally end up with uh, stray guests. 
that's in with us as well. Okay. Uh, and we don't majorly plan out what we're going to do. We tend to uh, find something that interests us and then decide, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about it. Um, and sometimes it's as simple as walking around going, did you ever notice there's a thing here? We could talk about, yeah, okay, we could talk about that. We can connect it to this and that. Um, or people send in questions, and we love when people send us in questions. We've made 800 episodes at this point, so we're Good always looking for new brave. ideas. Um, but we tend to film mostly on a cell phone or a small setup, because if you're going to fit into a boiler that has a 18-inch opening, you need something small you can travel with you. <laughs> That's 37 million views of their videos tyler i you know it's that's it's stunning. incredible and i mean i gotta say i loved the one when you guys were in the boiler <laughs> and not only were you in the boiler you, you went to both sides of the boiler because there's like there's two sides to the thing and they looked we're different planned on going in both and then we thought well while we're here and while we're dirty we might as well <laughs> i bet you all get dirty all the time <laughs> i bet i bet just being dirty is a, a part of crawling around that ship you know it's, yeah, we don't wear dress clothes to work. <laughs> uh, Libby, how did you get into maritime history and curation? Uh, I've always been a history nerd. I wasn't so much into ships, but I, I've always been a history person. Um, and I, uh, I heard on the USS Constellation that if, I, uh, if their staff there were allowed to fire their cannons, I said, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Sign me up. Uh, so I worked on USS Constellation for years and years and years, and um, huh. then I heard New Jersey had uh, bigger cannons to fire. So I uh, jumped ship, if you will. Yeah. Is that right? The Constellation. Yeah, what, what is the is Constellation? That, that, that's the flag. That, that's a revolutionary war, isn't it? In 1850s sloop of war, she was in the Civil War, uh -huh. um, sort of. Uh, she did some... Interest. She was the last all-sail warship ever built by the Navy. Okay. Uh, huh. So she's... And where is she now? <laughs> where is she she's located? Baltimore. Baltimore. Okay. I'm going to have to go check that out. I had no idea. Well, Ryan, you had an interest in battleships from being, as a young child. Um, how? Give us a little bit of your career path and how you end up in this remarkable... It must be a, a culmination of, of kind of a childhood dream to do what you get to do now. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, up until I was four, super into Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> After that point, battleships all the way. Um, no idea what caused the transition, but, uh, my dad used to build model ships just because they had more pieces than the cars or the planes. Wow. And mm -hmm. I thought, huh, that's cool. Uh, so when I was four was right around the age that I was strong enough to climb up on the shelf and pull his models down. Ooh. Uh, so after breaking a couple, he made some wooden models of chips for me to play with so I wouldn't touch his plastic ones. And he started uh, going over our grandparents because we didn't have cable at the time. He would copy History Channel documentaries about Pearl Harbor and Bismarck and those sorts of things on VHS yeah. and bring them home for me to watch. Uh, which, in hindsight, doomed me to a low-paid career in museum work, but uh, his heart was in the right place. <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like it was a natural interest on your part as well. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess I deserve some of the blame. You deserve, too. I think. I, you mentioned the Bismarck, and you know, one of the best histories I've read is the battle of, about the Bismarck, uh, which was the premier flagship of the German uh, Navy in World War II, sunk by the British on its basically on its maiden voyage, first time it came out to go to battle. It's an extraordinary story. Um, Ryan, what's, how does it compare to the New Jersey? Is it what was the what was the technology that the Bismarck had? Is it comparable to New Jersey? Is it comparable in size? Or do you, I hate to throw you on the spot? Do you have an, a sense of how they compare? Yeah, they're, they're very similar ships from a very similar uh, time frame. Uh, New Jersey is something like thirty feet longer off the top of my head, but Bismarck is a little bit wider. Uh, New Jersey is the faster ship. Uh, Bismarck had eight 15-inch guns as her main battery. New Jersey, of course, has nine 16-inch guns. Hmm. Uh, we're we're about, winning. Yeah, yeah, we're winning. We're about 7,000 <laughs> tons heavier. All right. Um, I, I think we would have won that fight pretty handily if it ever came down to it. For all the details on that, we do have a video about that. Do you really? Oh my God! <laughs> Let me tell you something. They pump out content, Peter. They, they. I, I mean, that's that's why I had to have them on the show. They, it's impressive. The the first of all, five videos a week. Um, yeah. Which is, by the way, I I love the timing. These come out in the evening. It's kind of like my knocking off work, ready to uh, unwind and take my mind off to something else. Really? What do you know? Okay. queued up is there's going to be a premiere of the battleship new jersey museum and memorial <laughs> youtube page and i tune in because it's like this what could be more you know foreign and out of the out of my normal day-to-day -day mm -hmm. than to be transported into the boiler of of <laughs> yeah. this incredible vessel and i just i just have to say and i'm, I'm not even going to say it i'm going to let ryan do it because he does he's better at talking about the battleship <laughs> than i am but Ryan, talk about the technological um, kind of sophistication of that ship as she was conceived. You know, I guess it would be in the 30s when when it, she was designed, um, and kind of how that stacks up even today. Well, they designed the ship on by drawing her freehand on thousands and thousands of sheets of paper. Uh, they did design the ship to have what we would now call a computer, uh, although it is an electromechanical analog computer that was designed during the Great Depression. Uh, and it's basically a uh, calculator that's the size of a kitchen table <laughs> that you can plug 19 separate variables into and it gives you a firing solution as output. Uh, so that was the high technology of the day, but also in the 80s and 90s, when the ship was still in service, they continued to use that computer rather than switching to digital because if the ship loses power, there's a hand crank on that, whereas your digital computer dies. Man, that's stunning. I'm telling you. That it still worked. <clears throat> it was accurate enough to, well, yeah. as a firing solution. I love that term. You know, how do we hit this destroyer that's 14 miles away, going at a certain angle at a certain speed? And we want to drop a, you know, a shell right on it. Yeah, a fire. The firing solution. You put it into the camera. Well, and it it speaks to kind of the the physics. I mean, it's a math problem. Yeah, it's a math problem. So it's it's ni nineteen variables there, Ryan, that you would have to be input. 
Yeah. Yeah, 19. I mean, that's that, that's pretty sophisticated. I've got to say. Apparently it worked. When I did multivariable calculus, if we had a problem with 19 <laughs> variables, that was a big one. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, tough to do freehand, isn't it? No, it is. I mean, you, the, the sophistication to put, you know, to speed that. And that's the other thing is, I mean, I imagine, again, you'd have to be, if you're firing a salvo every 30 seconds or whatever, yeah. you'd want that solution to be done quickly. Right. <laughs> and update it quickly. It's fascinating. I mean, the, the, and it speaks to kind of one of the things that it's educated me on, I think, is to that era of time, how really, I mean, you think back to from 1900 to World War II, how freaking advanced and global yeah. we, we had become. And these ships are really the symbol of that, like, globalism of that period. In many respects, I think that the naval, because it's, that's where the, you know, that's how the, the world was spanned. During the war, aviation, in, to my mind, aviation kind of emerges as this, yeah. this other way. World but, War II. But, but yeah, not so much before that. Not so much before that. No. Definitely not before <clears throat> that, to my yeah. mind. Yeah, not really. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a wartime uh, innovation. Aircraft, of course, exist all the way back to World War I. But it's not until December of 41, shortly after the attack on Pearl Harbor, that aircraft are able to sink a battleship at sea for the first time. So you're already two years into World War II by the time that that happens, by the time that aircraft become large enough that they can carry big enough bombs and torpedoes and fly great enough ranges to uh, be able to threaten battleships mm. or major cities. You know, one of the things I noticed in the history, the ship was launched December 7th, 1942, which I believe was the one-year anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Uh, not a coincidence, I would imagine, that that ship was launched on that day. Is there a story behind that? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the United States shipbuilding industry as a whole uh, coordinated to pump out, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but a tremendous number of vessels uh, all coordinated on that December 7th date. Oh, wow. uh, so Battleship New Jersey is one of these that are rushed to completion. They managed to shave uh, pretty much a whole year off of her construction time to get her out in three years instead of four. Man. And then commissioned in May of 1943 and serves its first tenure of service for five years into 1948. So through the end of... World War II, and then into peacetime. Um, when, they, when they put these ships into decommissioning, they sort of lock them up and park them, right? And this one was locked up and parked more than once and then reactivated. Uh, Can you talk about the process of turning these things off? And um, did, did they ever think they were going to put them back in the water and get them under active service, or, or were they... When they put it away, did they think, well, that's it. We're done with this boat. It's relatively rare to bring a ship back from uh, what is colloquially known as mothballs. Uh, usually when it happens, you're in an extreme emergency. So like at the beginning of World War II, they bring a bunch of World War I era destroyers out of mothballs to help hunt German U-boats. But uh, other than that, it very rarely happens. Uh, the major thing you're trying to do is prevent rust. So as you're putting these things away, you take out all the perishable supplies, 
but you leave everything else on there, spare parts, uh, anything that's not going to go bad so that you can get the ship reactivated as quickly as possible. Then anything that doesn't move, you paint, and the paint will protect the steel from rust. Anything that does move, you cover in grease or oil, like cosmoline, and that will keep those unpainted surfaces from getting water on them and rusting. Uh, and then when, if the call is ever sounded to reactivate the ship, you go on board and you, you basically put a new coat of paint on it and you clean all that grease out of the moving parts and she's ready to go. I mean, it's pretty incredible that, that A, that we even built these things. I've got to be honest. Like the fact that this <laughs> even exists is, is mind blowing. And I've got to say, Libby, the YouTube channel, the fact that this has emerged as I just think such a, a wonderful feature, not only for, uh, you guys at on the New Jersey, but for other battleship and uh, you know museum ships and other kind of macro uh, feature groups out there on the American shoreline, this is a really good tool. If you are a yeah uh, aquarium, I mean, just to to kind of pull back the curtain, I gotta say the the uh, the recipe I think is pretty clear. And what it is, is you find someone like Libby who's smart and knows how to use the thing, the, the, the platform, and Ryan, who's a super nerd, who's been thinking about Battleship since he was four, <laughs> and you put the camera on Ryan and you just let him cook. And they've got some great uh, concepts where they will do a picture and Ryan will just go off on like, here's a black and white photograph of the Battleship on a particular date. What can we learn about the battleship in this photograph, hmm. for example. What was and just, going on that day? Yeah, and just deep dive it. Wow. And it's just great. It's great content. And Libby, so I've got to ask, you guys have, have attracted millions of views, lots of people. Where do you, where do you want to take it from here? What's, what's your vision for the future of this YouTube channel? Or let's just say uh, using digital media with the battleship in the future. Uh, well, one of the great things we've been able to do is it's allowed us to go visit other ships and show people them too. So I think a big thing for us has not just been to tell people about our ship, but that ships are worth visiting. Um, to go visit wherever your local ship is, to go out and volunteer at your local ship. So I really just see down the line that there will be even more YouTube channels out there um, showing people that in-depth thing that we do, that we love so much, whether it's just us showing off other people's ships or... Um, uh, their ships showing off their own spaces. Well, you know, uh, when you get together, I, I would imagine there's an association of mu museum curation. I don't know if there's a maritime museum association, but when you got, do you guys go to the conference and what are the, what's the reaction to, here comes the people who have 37 million views <laughs> on their YouTube. It's got to be notable. I mean, do you, have, do you, have you been asked to speak about your strategy and share that? Uh, that, that is the funny thing you bring up. Um, we were so successful that they made me the executive director of the Historic Naval Ship Association. Oh, really? Which is the uh, group of museum warships <laughs> that hosts a conference every year. Way to go, uh, Ryan. This year, it, we're going to be in Honolulu on the Battleship Missouri and the submarine both in uh, September 13th to 16th. Wow, coming right up. Coming right up. I will actually be in Hawaii during part of that period of time. I should maybe try to swing by. <laughs> you should go to the conference. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I mean, of course, the Arizona is the most famous memorial ship in Hawaii. 
that is in Pearl Harbor. Um, you sure. know what's in it? Okay, fun fact about the ship. I was reading about the ship. 53,000 square feet of teak. The deck is 53,000 square feet of teak. Ryan, what's the upkeep on 53,000 square feet of teak decking? You know, wooden deck. Yeah, Peter. Yeah. About, every, about every 20 years, you have to spend $5 million to replace it. It's about a full acre. You have to replace the whole thing? Really? Yeah. I would imagine you can't sand it and seal it forever. Yeah, we're currently in the process of replacing it. Uh, so it has been a major endeavor for us. Uh, if you sand it forever, eventually it just disappears. Right. It gets a little... Uh, that's been another big thing that has been useful for our channel is getting out the word that we are replacing it and are always in need of more support to do so. Hmm. What do you do with the old teak? I mean, I would love to have, wouldn't you like to have a chunk of the deck? I, I think that's you probably know, make within it, the make, realm of possibility. Make it into a coffee table or something. That would be a lot of deck. Well, I'm, I'm a bit small. I just need a few pieces. <laughs> I'm just, I'm throwing this out, Libby. This is a fundraising idea. You sell the teak to people who want it, you know, have it in their house. Maybe make a table. So we are actually selling it. Uh, you, it is for sale on our website. Uh, okay. There you go, Tyler. Uh, you can get it in small sections and big sections and pens. Uh, we were very um, lucky okay. to be able to get some of our teak to the new submarine in New Jersey that they made it into name tags and a few other things. Man. Uh, so it's out there. Okay. And uh, the, buying the teak actually goes back into the, the purchasing of new teak for the deck. So it all actually does recycle through. Right on. Man. Well, what? I got to say, cool. uh, I, I hear I hear you, and I think that uh, the Battleship New Jersey Museum and Memorial is definitely worth supporting and definitely worth checking out. And um, you guys do an amazing job of highlighting other museum ships and other uh, memorials around the country and also talking about, like, the the challenges associated with keeping these things. And I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that we all do need to step up. Uh, you know, the Battleship New Jersey Museum and Memorial is not uh, the Fort Davis National Historic Monument, which is, you know, in the, the National Memorial. Park budget, basically. Um, and my understanding is that you guys do uh, require uh, and, and use the donations of the public to help your operations. So... Yeah, where should people go in terms of a website or social media to follow along and learn more about how to become involved? Our website, battleshipnewjersey.org, is a great place to come. There's a donate button there if you'd like to. Uh, if you follow the YouTube channel, uh, simply watching the videos helps promote it in the algorithm. And uh, if you watch the advertisements on the videos, that translates to money that's coming into the museum's coffers. Very cool. It's that easy. You just got to watch some videos and choke down some ads. <laughs> <laughs> it all helps out. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Ryan Szymanski, the Director of Curation and Educational Affairs for the Battleship New, Zer New Jersey Museum and Memorial, and Libby Jones, the uh, Director of Education and the brain trust behind the uh, YouTube channel for the Battleship New Jersey. Wildly successful. Wildly successful for all you beach towns out there. Look at how these people are promoting this. It's absolutely fantastic. It's worth understanding and copying. We really appreciate you guys coming on the American Trailline Podcast to talk about this amazing battleship and the work that you do. We really appreciate it. 
it's been a pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Get in my car, I'm going too far. Never coming back again.